You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. All right, good morning, everyone. Like Elliot just said, my name's Ethan. I'm the family pastor here, and if you've been with us some this summer, you know that we are in a series called The Divine Conspiracy. So The Divine Conspiracy, this is, this is God's behind-the-scenes plan. It's behind the scenes. It's kind of under the radar. It's, it's, it's His plan to make the kingdom of heaven accessible to all people. That's what we've been talking through this summer. And we've been looking specifically at Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's here where Jesus is giving this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the sermon, he reveals the plan. And then he invites us to be a part of what he's actually doing. He invites us to be a part of his big picture. So far, we've looked at chapter 5. We've gone through all of chapter 5. In chapter 5, we see how Jesus explains how we can play our part in what he's doing in this divine conspiracy. And then we moved last week into chapter 6. In chapter 6, this is where Jesus he identifies three things that keep us, they hold us back, they keep us from really playing our part, playing our part well. So last week, we saw how seeking approval from others how that holds us back from being a part of what God is doing. Next week, we're going to look at worry. This week, though, Jesus turns his attention to money. So we're going to talk about money. But Jesus, he doesn't start off by using the word money. Instead, he actually starts off using the word treasure. Starts off calling it treasure. Treasure, it's, 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 similar, it's similar to money, but it's a little bit broader of a term. It's a little more all-encompassing. And so when we're talking about treasure, what we simply mean is this. We mean something of value. Okay, so when Jesus says treasure, when we, when we use it this morning, we're talking about something of value. When I, when I was a kid, it was very clear, very obvious what my treasure was. When I was a kid, it was all about the baseball cards. All of my treasure was bound up in all of my baseball cards. And I had this epic collection, guys. I had this most epic Frank Thomas. He was the first baseman for the Chicago White Sox throughout all the 90s. I had the most epic Frank Thomas baseball card collection. And whenever I'd get an extra dollar, I'd go out and I'd buy another Frank Thomas baseball card. Thankfully, I didn't know about eBay or it hadn't become a thing yet. Otherwise, I think I just would have gone crazy and, uh, and it would have it not been a good thing. But I knew, well, I would take my cards and I would put them under glass right? You know, if you collected cards as a kid, you put them in plastic, the nice ones, you'd put them under glass. And I knew if there was ever a fire in my house, I had a plan. I would go straight, I'd get the shoe boxes, I would get the binders full of baseball cards, because I would part with everything that I owned before I'd part with my Frank Thomas baseball cards. Uh, they were my treasure. They were the thing that I valued the most. And as children, we tend to value things that we can touch, things that we can hold, things that you can collect like baseball cards, or for my daughter Margaret right now, her whole world is bound up in pillowy, which is a $9 pillow from Target that she has just attached herself to. It has become her treasure. So as kids, it's something you can touch and hold. As adults, our treasure, it's not usually bound up in a single item in that way. As adults, instead, our, our treasure really becomes kind of the sum of everything that we own. It's, it's the total of all of our stuff. So it includes our homes, it includes the, the things that we buy to put inside of our homes to make them nice, to make them comfortable. It includes businesses, properties, vehicles, our toys, our timeshares. includes IRAs, bank accounts, investments. You get the picture. Kind of the sum total of everything that we own. And Jesus knows that these things, they're not necessarily bad. They're really not bad in and of themselves. In fact, Jesus is the one who created us. The Bible says that Jesus actually formed us. He created us. He created us, and he, he put us in this physical world, right? 
He put us in a physical world, and he made us so that we need food every single day to survive. We need food, we need shelter, and this guarantees that money and stuff, that's going to be a part of our lives. Our whole lives, money and stuff, they're going to be a part of our lives, and that's not a bad thing. God actually designed it that way. So Jesus knows that money and stuff, they're not, they're not bad things, but he also knows that if we don't handle them well, they can really do a lot of damage. And so what he does is he attaches a very, a very serious warning label to them. Here's a, here's a common warning label. We have danger, do not touch. Uh, this sign, if you see this sign, it means steer clear, right? Don't go near the thing, stand back. This is actually not what Jesus is talking about. This is not the warning label that he attaches to money and stuff. Instead, his warning label, it reads more like this. Caution, handle with care. So when we're approaching money, it's not stay away, stay away from it, stay back from money and stuff. It's no, this is, this is money and stuff. This is a necessary part of your life. And Jesus is saying, I actually intend for you to accomplish a lot of good with it. But as you handle it, use caution, handle it with care. So let's read Jesus' actual words here. We're going to look at Matthew Verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. I'm going to read through this whole thing, and then we'll talk about it. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now you may have noticed as we're walking through this that there is a certain structure to what Jesus is talking about here. He actually gives us three sets of two. He gives us three sets of two things. So the first set that we see is we've got two treasures. One treasure is temporary, one is eternal. Then we have two eyes. He talks about two eyes. One is healthy, one is unhealthy, and then two masters. The two masters are God and money. And so Jesus, he provides us with this structure, and it's actually a really helpful structure. So as we walk through the passage today, we're going to follow that same structure that he provided to try to understand and try to apply what he's actually talking about here. So the first section, the first set of two, is the two treasures. And the first type of treasure, he says, is treasure on earth. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. So what's the main thing here? What's the main thing, do you think, that Jesus is trying to communicate about treasure on earth? Well, his main point here is that treasure on earth, it's very temporary. It does not last. Moths, rust, thieves, these symbolize the various ways that the things that we own, they just don't last. Whether it's, whether it's property, whether it's money, whether it's toys, everything that we own, it's temporary. It's fading. And we really, we don't like to think about this very much, but this actually points to the very obvious fact that whether, even if our stuff, the stuff that we collect, manages to have a, a longer than expected expiration date, we still have our own expiration date. Each one of us is going to expire. Even if, we outlast our, even if our stuff outlasts us, we're still going to expire. And when we do, when we die, when that day comes, we can store up as much as we'd like. But no earthly treasure is going to do us an ounce of good on the other side of the grave. And Jesus is pointing to this. In the Old Testament, in the book of Job, it said this way. It says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. 
So you start with nothing, and you end with nothing. But Jesus, he's not just saying this to be depressing. The reason he's saying this, as we will see, the reason he's saying this is actually to draw our attention to the loophole. There's a loophole here in this system. So Jesus is saying, yes, you can't take your resources with you, but you can invest them in such a way that you send them on ahead. That's what he wants us to know. The second type of treasure is treasure in heaven. He says, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. So if the hallmark of treasure on earth is that it's temporary, the hallmark of treasure in heaven is that it's eternal. So we have temporary, we have eternal. The eternal treasure, no moths allowed. It goes on, it doesn't destroy, it doesn't rust. So we have these two treasures, and Jesus is saying, don't store up in one, and do store up in the other. But I think it's interesting to notice here that that Jesus' primary argument against storing up treasure on earth is not that it's bad. He's not trying to pile on guilt or make us feel bad about stuff. That's not his primary argument. His argument is that if our focus is on stockpiling goods, stuff that we're going to enjoy in this life, he's saying, if that's your focus, actually you've made a very poor investment. What he's doing is he's appealing to our reason. And I appreciate this. I appreciate Jesus appealing to our reason by telling us to invest in something that will last, not in something that is fleeting. This past, uh, this past 4th of July, my family, we did what we've done for the past six years to celebrate in the night. We, uh, we go, we take our blankets, we put some blankets out on the front lawn, and we just enjoy all of our neighbors' fireworks. I think, I don't know, maybe every neighborhood in Huntington Beach is like this, and you guys probably feel like yours is the best, but ours is actually the best. Um, we just put out a blanket, and the show, the free show on Florida Street rivals the pier. It's great. So we've never been disappointed. Our neighbors, they've, they've never let us down. But every year, I have the same thought. And you might have had this thought as well. Every year, as I'm watching these fireworks, I have the thought, how much cash is just being lit on fire right now? I can't help but think. I just can't ignore the fact that lighting a firework is about as close as you can get to actually, like, burning money. So I've got that thought. I'm enjoying it, but I've got that thought going through my head the whole time. And then my next thought is that I'm glad that my neighbors are doing it, because I know that if they weren't, I'd be out there spending my own money putting on my own show. So I'm glad that they're, they're taking one for the team on that. So Jesus here, he's saying, yeah, you can go ahead. You can store up earthly treasure. That's your prerogative. You can do that. But keep in mind, life is short. He's saying, in the scope of eternity, everything that you've stored up that's so precious to you, actually, it's as fleeting as a firework. Just bang, bang, sparkle, sparkle, done. That's it. There's no more. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or, or, or if you're poor. You're, all the stuff that you have, all the stuff you've accumulated, it might be the equivalent of a five-year-old holding, holding a little sparkler. This is kind of the Johnstone family contribution to Florida Street fireworks show. We bring out the sparklers. <laughs> so all the stuff that you have, it might be no more impressive than one of my kids with a sparkler. Or all the stuff that you've accumulated, that might be the equivalent of that, the, big, the big crescendo, the one that sets off all the car alarms, that everyone turns their heads and they ooh and they ah. You might have some, some really impressive stuff. But Jesus is giving the context that whether your stuff is a sparkler or whether it's the rocket's red glare, it's a flash in the pan compared with eternity. And he's saying, given this reality, don't you want to invest in something that moths won't eat up? Don't you want to invest in something that rust won't destroy? 
So what does that actually look like? How do we do that? How do we make those good, not those poor, investments? How do you store up treasure in heaven? Well, you do it by investing in something that's eternal. I heard a really creative and interesting example of this not long ago. It was actually Elliot, our connection pastor, he did this, and then I heard a number of you who did similar things. And it was actually on the 4th of July. And what you did is before the 4th, you went out and you just bought a bunch of fireworks. You bought fireworks, you bought food, you bought drinks. And then either you invited friends over to your house or out in front of the street, or you just tried to meet people on the 4th, take advantage of that opportunity to meet people in your neighborhoods, people that you care about. And then as you, as you talked with them, as you interacted with them, you looked for ways to be salt and light in their lives, in the lives of these people you care about. And you asked, how can I point them to the hope that I found in Jesus so that they can experience that as well? So those of you who did that, you were putting into practice exactly what Jesus is talking about. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. You took things that will not last, like money or fireworks or LaCroix, whatever it was. You invested them in something that has eternal value. People. You invested them in people. And so when God entrusts us with earthly treasure. This is the amazing opportunity that we have before us. And there's, there's endless opportunities. They're all around us. The opportunity is to take something as temporary as a firework and actually turn it into something eternal. And that's amazing. When we do this, it not only benefits others, but it actually benefits us. Jesus wants to stress this. He says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. You're actually storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. So he appeals here to our long-term self-interest. And we should clarify here, this doesn't mean that if you, you give $100, that you, you get a 1,000 God bucks back in return, and you get to spend those in heaven however you want. Pretty sure that's not what Jesus is talking about. But to be honest, it would be dishonest to claim that we know exactly how this treasure transfer system works. But what we do know, what we do know is that God is going to keep his word. We know God will keep his word. Therefore, we know that resources that are used on earth to advance the kingdom of heaven are never going to be regretted in eternity. There's a lot of hope in that. Jim Elliott is a man who, um, he died in 1956 in Ecuador, taking the good news of Jesus to a remote tribe in Ecuador. Before he died, he said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. So he's saying, it's not a foolish thing if you give something that you can't keep anyway, and in return for that, you get something that lasts forever. But for me, I will say, this raises a tough question. The question is, if it's such a no-brainer to invest in something that I cannot lose at the expense of something that I cannot keep, then why is it so difficult for me to make that investment? Why do I struggle to do that if it's such an obvious no-brainer? In other words, why are my thoughts, why are my emotions more consumed with what's in my bank account, with what's in my Amazon cart, than with what God is actually doing around me? Why do those things have a greater pull than what God is doing around me? Well, according to Jesus, this is because I have a vision problem. In the next pairing here, we see that Jesus talks about two eyes. And here's what he says. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, 
if your eyes are bad, it actually should say here, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light within you is darkness. And if the white light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So we have two eyes here. They're good, they're bad. And actually, different translations translate them different ways. They can be translated good and bad eyes, or it can be translated healthy or unhealthy eyes. They both communicate the same thing. So we're talking about healthy and unhealthy eyes. And what's the difference here? What's the difference between eyes that are healthy and eyes that are unhealthy? Well, it's pretty clear. Unhealthy eyes, they don't see accurately. For whatever reason, whether it's blurry or, or whatever's going on, an unhealthy eye, you're not seeing what's in front of you accurately. Healthy eyes, they're the opposite. Healthy eyes see accurately. But Jesus, he's not just talking about physical vision here, obviously. What's he driving at? Well, it will help us to recall some context. Some context is that Jesus, in this whole sermon, and really throughout the whole book of Matthew, he's got two kingdoms in mind. He has the kingdom of earth, the one that's right in front of us, and he's got the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, in everything he's talking about, he's got these two kingdoms in mind. So the healthy eye, this is the eye that can see both. This is the eye that can see accurately and make decisions based on the full picture of reality. It has a full, full field, a full depth of vision. The unhealthy eye is the opposite. It's nearsighted. It's really just focused on the one kingdom. It's focused on the kingdom of earth, the kingdom that's right in front of it. And this is significant because you're only going to store up for things that you have a vision for. In other words, you'll only invest in something that you believe is real. If you don't believe it's real, you're not going to invest in it. This is why, for me today, I am much more disciplined at storing up for retirement now in my mid, nearing, late 30s than I was when I was 20 years old. When I was 20, my dad, he, he told me that it was important to save up for retirement. He helped me kind of get something started, but I wasn't really disciplined with it. And the reason is that even though I knew it was important to save for retirement, I just didn't have a vision for it. It just it didn't seem like a real thing to me at all. I was nearsighted. But as I've grown older, the idea of an eventual retirement, well, suddenly that's seeming a little bit more real to me. I actually have a vision for it. And that vision, it leads to action. It leads to very tangible action. Every month I set aside some money for a future that I believe is real. If I didn't believe that retirement was real, I'd find some other good use for that money just like I did when I was 20. But I believe it's real, and so it actually changes my habits. <clears throat> so when I struggle to store up treasure in heaven, it's because of the same thing. It's because my eyes, they're focused on just what's in front of me, what I have a vision for, and what God is doing seems less real. And it creates this kind of self-perpetuating cycle. Let's look at what this cycle looks like. It starts when my vision for something, when my vision is just limited to earthly things. I'm just focused on earthly things. And because my field of vision is consumed with earthly things, it's all that I see, then I store up all of my treasure. It's all I see, so it's where I store all of my treasure in earthly things as well. And then the more treasure that I store up in earthly things, well, the more my heart becomes bound up with those things, the more it becomes attached to those things, and the more my sense of security becomes connected with them, becomes connected with treasure on earth. And then the cycle, it just kind of starts all over again because the more, my, the more attached my heart is to these things, the more I focus on them and the more nearsighted I become. And this kind of reinforces itself. 
So then we want to know, how do we correct our vision? How do we break this cycle? How do we create a different cycle? And the answer for us is given from Jesus, actually in the previous verse, Matthew 6, 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The idea of this short but profound verse is that if you direct your treasure somewhere, your heart is going to follow that. And then, as your heart for something grows, your vision for it expands as well, and this is how the cycle is broken. And here's what it looks like. It starts when we take some treasure, we take our treasure, and we actually move it. We move our treasure, and we invest it in the kingdom of heaven. We ask, what's God doing? What is God doing And how can I be a part of that? How can I get a fraction of the action over there? How can I slide some of my treasure and put that, invest it in the kingdom of heaven? And when you invest your treasure in what God is doing, well, your heart becomes more invested in what God is doing. You actually begin to care more because your treasure's there, your heart is there, you care more. And as your heart for God expands, then your vision expands with that. You begin to see things differently. God allows you to see people, events, the same people and events that you looked at before, but now you're seeing them through the lens of eternity. You're not just looking at them through kingdom of earth eyes, you're looking at them through kingdom of heaven eyes. That's very, very different. And then finally, as your vision for what God is doing, as it it expands, as it clarifies, then this allows you to, again, invest your treasure, this time even more intelligently, more thoughtfully, more generously into the kingdom of heaven. And this cycle, it continues. So, Moving treasure moves the heart and corrects the eyes. Another way that we could say this is that if you say that you want your heart and your vision for something to grow, consider putting your money where your mouth is. I experienced this recently. A few weeks ago, I experienced this. My wife and I, we went on a trip up to the mountains. And guys, this was a trip, no kids. This is just us. So this was very exciting. Kids stayed with my parents. And this is the longest we've ever gotten away, just the two of us. Um, and it was, it was great. The point of the trip, we decided, was to invest in our marriage. We're going to go away. We're going to invest in our marriage. Now, one of the things that we were excited for, one of the ways we were excited to connect, was to just get out and do some hiking. It's something that we talk about doing all the time, that we want to do all the time, but um, life doesn't make that as easy as we'd like. So we're like, okay, we can finally get out, and we can do some hiking together. So, so we're driving up. We're on our way up the mountain, and Andrea says... I left my hiking shoes. Oh, man, are you kidding me? Um, <clears throat> I don't remember if I said anything out loud or if I just thought it. I was thinking, I just can't, I can't believe that. So we're going up the mountain. Here we go. We find, uh, we decide, let's at least find a store that sells some shoes, and we'll see what the options are. We'll check it out. Um, and guys, hiking shoes aren't really cheap. They're not a cheap thing. They're not the most expensive, but they're not cheap. And we had just gotten Andrea some hiking shoes where he thought, these are going to last a long time. Let's get the nicest shoes we can because they're going to last a long time. So we'd just done that, and now it's like, okay, are we going to do this all over again? Are you kidding me? So as you can imagine, I can feel the stinginess just kind of setting in, right? I can feel the irritability setting in at the same time, and my vision is just narrowing. The stated purpose is that we're there to invest in our marriage, and I'm just kind of losing focus on the big picture. Finally, I just decide, I think it was the grace of God, I just decided, you know what, let's buy the dang shoes. We're just going to buy the shoes. And immediately, when I decided that, when I said that to Andrea, guess what, guys? My whole heart changed. My heart for Andrea changed, 
And it just set a whole new tone for the trip. Until that moment, I had said that the point of this trip was to invest in my marriage. But my stinginess was about to prove that not true. And it took actually taking some of my money, putting it where my mouth is, to really flip that and change that around. And God used that, and we had a great trip, and it, it, were, it really was a great thing. But that was a turning point for the whole thing. The same is true with God. When we are stingy toward God, our hearts for him are going to be small. We should expect that. We shouldn't expect otherwise. But when we find out what he's doing and we begin to invest in it, it doesn't guarantee that there's going to be a change, but it opens up a whole new world of possibilities. It opens up a whole new world of possibilities for our hearts to grow more attached to God. And those possibilities, they're closed off to us before. So it opens up that whole new option. The final pairing that we have is two masters. Uh, Two masters, their God and their money. And Jesus wants to be very clear, you can't straddle the line with these two masters. In verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So an obvious question here, I don't know about you, this is the first question that pops out to me, is how can money be a master? How can something inanimate be my master? I understand how God can be my master. How can money be my master? The, the Benjamin Franklin on your $100 bill, he's not going to start opening his mouth and giving you little commands, do this, do that. Yes, Mr. Franklin. Uh, that's not how it works. So what does it mean to serve money as a master? Money is your master when it is the top thing that you consult in setting your priorities and in making your decisions. If money is the driving thing, the thing you go to when you're setting your priorities and making your decisions, that's the indicator that money is your master. You can think of it like this. If money is the North Star by which you navigate life's decisions, then God is not. He cannot be. You can't have both. You can't have two North Stars up in the sky. You actually have to pick one. If accumulating money and stuff, if that's your North Star, then you're going to navigate by one set of decisions. If God, and pleasing God, if that's your North Star, you're going to navigate by an entirely different set of decisions. One practice that I have learned to implement to make sure that God really is my North Star and that my resources are at his disposal is to conduct what what I'll call here a treasure audit. A treasure audit. A treasure audit, it simply involves pulling out your budget, which means that if you don't have a budget, the first step in a treasure audit is to create a budget so that you can move on from there. But assuming you have a budget, it's to pull that out and to evaluate it just by prayerfully asking some questions that we don't normally ask. So I want to wrap up today by giving you some questions, a series of questions that you can ask to conduct your own treasure audit. And what I would suggest is as we go through these, just be asking God, God, is there one of these that stands out to me? Is there one of these that you want me to jot down and delve into more with me and you later on. So look for one of these questions, write it down in the margin somewhere, and pray about it later on. The first question is this, am I living within my means? So if you assess your budget and you realize that you're consistently spending more than you're making, that's a good indicator that you might actually be serving money. Now I'm not talking about those months where everything breaks down, where you're 
your, your car breaks down, I don't know, maybe your house floods. Um, <clears throat> not talking about those months, but I'm talking about what's going on. Just in, 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 if, if your normal pattern, if your normal pattern is to be overspending, then you want to ask and find out what the reason for that is. If the reason for the pattern of overspending in your life is that the resources that God has entrusted to you, if they're just insufficient to satisfy your appetite for stuff, that's a very clear indicator that you might be serving the wrong master. So you want to ask, am I living within my means? Also, you want to ask, am I faithfully fulfilling my responsibilities? One of the things that God, God expects us to do with the resources that he has entrusted to us is to fulfill our responsibilities. He doesn't give us assignments and responsibilities and, and resources and say that they're two totally different things. If he's given you responsibility, he expects you to use your resources to actually fulfill that responsibility. And so what that means is it's actually pretty cool. It means that if I look at my budget and I look at what I'm spending on rent and what I'm spending on groceries every month, then I can actually take a lot of joy in that. I can take joy knowing, one, God's provided. He's provided me those resources. And two, I'm actually using them in a way that honors him. I'm doing what he wants me to do with that money. Now, would it honor God if I fed my family of six at the Cheesecake Factory seven nights a week? Probably not. I would love that, but probably not. But if God is your North Star, then your budget, it needs to actually reflect and it needs to fund the responsibilities and assignments that he's given you. So you want to ask, am I faithfully fulfilling my responsibilities? Next is, what am I investing in that is eternal? In other words, am I putting my resources anywhere that moths, rusts, and thieves, they can't get to them? For me, the main way that I do this is by giving to the church. When I, was, when I was six years old, I had a job of, uh, I would, what I'd do is I would buy a bunch of candy and soda, and I would sell it at my dad's office, right? So I'd buy a soda for a quarter, and I'd sell it for 50 cents. Just a brilliant six-year-old mind. Um, mastered economics. Um, <clears throat> great margins. So I would do that, and my parents, they taught me to do what they did. They taught me to take 10% of what I made and to give it to the church every week. And so I did that. And I've continued that habit since then. And I really believe that that is the best single investment that I make into the kingdom of heaven. Other ways that my wife and I, we do this is there, we've identified some organizations that we think are really doing a lot to advance the kingdom of heaven. And so we'll give to them. We also set aside some, some people money every month. We set aside people money so that when opportunities arise to invest in relationships, invest in people which are eternal, we're not caught flat-footed. We've got a little bit of money where we can go out to eat with someone or, or whatever, that type of thing. So um, you want to ask, what am I investing in that is eternal? Look through your budget, see what there is. Next is, is my income what God wants it to be? So until now, all of these questions, they've been on the expense side of the budget. But we can't do a treasure audit without also considering income as well. So it could be that your income, it's right where God wants it to be. God wants you to make exactly what you're making, and he just wants you to use that faithfully and generously. It could be that he actually wants you to work harder or more to increase your income so that you can fulfill your responsibilities or so that you can be more generous. But it also could be that God has some plans for you in your life and that the level of income that you perceive that you need to maintain 
is actually standing in the way of those plans. Many times we fail to follow God where he's leading us because taking an income hit is something that we just don't see as on the table. God, he wants to be our master. He actually wants that to be on the table. And so if it's not on the table, if that's something that you would never consider, well, that could be an indicator of following the wrong North Star. The last question is this. Is my savings what God wants it to be? Is my savings what God wants it to be? The Bible is a big fan of savings, okay? It clearly commends saving for the future. Proverbs says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So, you may ask this question about your savings, and God may want you to go to the ant. He may want you to be more like the ant and start saving, or he may want you to get more serious about saving up and storing for the future. But one of the reasons that money is such an appealing alternative master to God is that it really offers a lot of security. Money offers us a lot of security. And to preserve that sense of security, it's very easy to view money that we've saved up as totally off limits to God. So we've got our income, okay, and God's the master of that, but then we've got our savings. This is what we've set aside. God doesn't need to have anything to do with that. And so, in order to make sure that God is really the master of your life, consider taking the risk. Take, and it is a risk. Take the risk and ask him, God, is my savings where you want it to be, or do you have some different plans? And the point of these questions is not to make you feel bad, and actually the point is not to make you feel good either. The point of the questions is simply to go before God, open-handed, and ask him, is there any area where you would like me to use my resources differently than I am right now? And he's a good God, and we can trust him. If he leads you somewhere, you can bet that's going to go really well for you. And if he's your master, it only makes sense to do that. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you provide us with everything that we need. You provide us with so many good things in life, uh, so many enjoyable things, Father. And we know that what you have in store for us in heaven far surpasses anything that we enjoy here on earth. God, it is very hard for us to have that perspective. Uh, it's very hard for us to focus on more than what is just right in front of us. Um, but God, we, do, we want the blessing of focusing on something beyond what is right in front of us. We want the resources that you've given us to not just go toward our own enjoyment. We want it to go toward something meaningful. And thank you for the opportunity that we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, God. And Father, I pray for each one of us here. Um, I pray that we would just be guided in the details, um, whether it's big decisions or small decisions, that, um, that you would clearly be our master and that you'd give us opportunities to declare just by, how we, just by something as simple as how we use the resources you've given us, that you're the boss of our life. Um, and God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.